Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 6000 That's one 800 245 6000 Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You can find him at his website, victorhansen.com. The website is called The Blade of Perseus. We welcome everybody. You can come join us for free and get on the mailing list, or you can sign up for the VDH Ultra material, which is about three articles a week from Victor. And they're on all sorts of topics from warfare to farming to recent politics. So come join us, and um, I'm sure it'll be worth either $5 a month or $50 for the year. We have a lot. This is the Friday News Roundup, and we've got a lot on the agenda today, so please stay with us. We're going to go to a few messages, and we'll be right back. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your 
risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Welcome back, Victor. So I hope you're ready for it. We got the, seems like the last two, three weeks, it's just been one news story after the other. And I thought maybe we might start with Michelle Obama and her um, $741,000 speaking yes. event at the Bits and Pretzels Forum. And you'll never guess, given that it's pretzels, what country it was in, but it was in Germany. Munich, and Munich she, Germany. Yes. And $700, she, which at our going rate of $1.06 six, is $741,000 for one hour of speaking. Diversity and inclusivity. Yes, notice that, everybody. She was speaking. I think she spoke Monday, yesterday. We're recording today on Tuesday. So she spoke on, remember, there's the the DEI Trinity, the Holy Trinity. But she only talked about diversity and inclusion. Why didn't she mention the Godhead in the middle? Equity. Because what? She's getting $741,000 for one minute, for one hour. And she doesn't want to talk about DEI because DEI includes the word equity. And she's not very interested in equity, meaning she doesn't want to share her $741,000 with the rest of us. I'm just kidding, of course. But remember what her husband said in 2018 that struck me? He was asked about what they were looking at as far as their post-presidency. He said, how many things can you eat? How many houses can you live in? How many places can you go? So we're not interested in being rich. There's only so much. Well, that was four houses ago. They have three estates in Kalorama, in Hawaii, in Martha's Vineyard. I, I don't begrudge them. No, either do you, listeners. We like to see people successful. But not successful and then, you know, open the majestic front door and stick your head out and lecture America how it's racist and it's privileged and it's unfair, raise the bar. And she does that all the time. And so does he. He, he hijacked John McCain's, uh, John Lewis and John McCain's uh, funeral. You remember that? And said that he got on to them the filibuster. He said the filibuster, which he used so successfully, he thought, unsuccessfully, ultimately, but short term, he thought he made a big splash, saying that Justice Alito was unqualified and he filibustered. Then he turned around later and said the filibuster 
when it's used like people like him, it's a racist Jim Crow relic. So you shouldn't believe anything these people say. And, you know, he made a 60, $65 million Netflix for content, not for producing anything, not for writing anything, but for kind of, hey, Michelle, got an idea about a Netflix series? Yeah. How about a young black professor and dealing with all the racism at the University of Chicago? Well, how about that, Michelle? How about a brilliant Harvard Law student that goes to a law school and they don't give her the Adidas account because they're racist? Yeah, that's a great idea. We just made $10 million. So I don't have any problem with that, but I don't like the hypocrisy. And, you know, we're now in the quid pro quo era where everybody's talking about the Biden family and justifiably so. And Garrett, Jared Kushner has used his office supposedly to wedge, wedge or to leverage or to make contacts with the Saudis, becoming fabulously wealthy. Okay. But, you know, that's exactly what Barack Obama did. He picked the president of Netflix, Mr. Sarandos. He picked his wife to be ambassador to the Bahamas. And then just a few years later, he, Mr. Sarandos, quid pro quoed him back and gave him a $65 million Netflix project, which he was negotiating with him while he was in the White House. So it's really, you know, it gets really tiresome. And you know what else is weird about this? Germany is going to be the only major nation in the European Union that's going to have negative GDP growth. And they're going to have a cold winter. They have, don't have any natural gas. They've shut down their nuclear plants. They've shut down a lot of their oil-burning plants. They're going to try to get back coal plants. And so they're going to be pretty strapped this winter. I don't think that's going to play very well, that they're paying Michelle Obama $741 to come over and talk to them, to the Germans of all people, about inclusion and diversity, but not equity. And uh, I, I think there'll be some pushback. And then the final thing, Sammy, she's starting to weaponize, monetize, leverage this talk, loose talk about her coming in as the salvation at the 11th hour of the Democratic Party as Joe Biden geometrically declines and people get scared of Kamala Harris and Mr. Slick, smooth, glib, Gavin Newsom proves to be an empty suit. People are saying, well, maybe she can rescue us. And that just that talk means people are willing to pay her as they did Hillary right before she announced her candidacy. She was getting, what was it? It was a fantastic amount, 150000 for 20 minutes at, on Wall Street. But nobody's ever made it quite like Michelle. But I think the fact that the Germans might think that she's going to be a contender is something to consider. You know, the article that I've been reading said that she did make 200000 for a talk, and Obama would make 400000 and they said exactly that, that the Germans are now willing to pay $741,000 for her because they think she will be, she's going to be at least the presidential candidate for the yeah, Democrats. she's going to get, what, $12,000 if you do the math? $12,000 bucks a minute to hear the wisdom of Michelle Obama? I've already heard the wisdom of Michelle Obama. I heard it ad nauseum. 
I heard that we were a racist country, that we were a downright mean country, that she'd never been proud of the United States to in our infinite wisdom and reclaim morality. We nominated her husband to be a candidate for presidency. And I have heard it all. And uh, it's not worth 12,000 bucks a minute, Germans. No, it sure isn't. Well, um, speaking of um, people making money off of being politicians, we have um, Robert Menendez, who has had, we've, we've known, I think we've talked about it a little bit before, but he's now been indicted in a 39-page indictment for influence peddling with an Egyptian businessman, I think in the meat industry, if I'm not wrong. And so I was wondering if you had any new ideas or something more on Robert Menendez. Well, he's he's got, I think, 16 major Democratic politicians that are divorcing themselves from his cause and asking him to resign. And why are they doing that? Because they suddenly became the party of morality? No, because there's a Democratic governor in New Jersey and they feel they can get a more viable senator candidate by appointment. Believe me, if the if the governor was Republican, they would say that he's as clean as they come. But uh, he is... What was weird about this is when you take money in exchange for giving favors, in this case... He was trying to both get favors for constituencies that wanted to cash in on USAID to Egypt and have contracts with Egyptian Americans and people connected in that community. But he was also trying to make sure that the Egyptians got their hand in the American trough. And the result was he was stuffing $400,000 of cash in his coats. And he said... The other thing weird about it was they asked him, he said, well, I'm from Cuba. And people from Cuba never know really, you know, they, they, that's just a cultural thing to stash money because they take it from you. And you, you have to be ready. You have to be ready. <laughs> and then he said, and I'm a Latino. And so you have to be careful. And, you know, I'm getting, I think all of us are really tired, especially Latinos are tired of that. Why does everybody do that? When you get caught, then you go back and you try to to play on some victim status. They had this Miss Hutchinson, that's her name. She was testifying before the January 6th committee. She's got another tell-all mega blockbuster memoir, and we had to hear that she had an abusive childhood. What does that matter? That, so every single person can make that argument that they've had some traumatic experience in their Life, you know, next time I'm facing Stanford University and they're thinking, I'm going to say, but I had a ruptured appendix in Libya. You don't know the trauma I went through. It's still, I have nightmares about it and I have no appendix. That's not fair. <laughs> or maybe you can tell them you had to go on an airplane in the United States <laughs> and <Yeah>. got stuck. <laughs> oh, yes. I've been stuck 50 times at airports sleeping on my back. Everybody can do that, but nobody, it's getting so typical. And, you know, now I think his out will be to blame his newly wedded wife, who looks like a piece of work. She's much taller than he is. She's at an age where I don't think it's wise to wear risque clothes, which she does. And she brings a lot of baggage. And now 
I think he's leaked to the media that these liaisons that got him in trouble were from her uh, prior bankrupt and shady business career. So I think you're going to hear a lot about that. But this isn't the first time. He was uh, indicted earlier, not too long ago. I think it was in 2015-16. Yeah, sometime around that. Yeah, and he, he was indicted for all sorts of things with these associates underage women and et cetera, et cetera. I, we did an uh, interview with the director of uh, the U.S. Um, U.S. Global Media, and that's the umbrella organization. That's a billion-dollar budget that controls Voice of America and Outreach Abroad. Michael Pack just did it just recently, just a few hours before I'm talking to you. One of the things was when he went in there to clean up that mess, and clean up that mess means that these were public employees that are supposed to be disinterested and nonpartisan, and they were all hardcore leftists, and he started to do what Democrats do to Republicans, and that is clean house. Nothing wrong with that. They sicked the federal government, the Biden administration, and, uh, the, excuse me, the people who would become in the Biden administration sicked sick themselves on him. And one of them was, of course, Robert Menendez. He brought him up and gave him a lecture about conflict of interest. And Mr. Pack, you have a private company. Did you do this? Did you do that? And this is that's just pathetic that this guy has been in the Senate and he's totally corrupt. And he didn't even make an effort. I mean, he didn't put the bars under the floor. He didn't put the money. So his attitude was... Well, I've been here before, and I got caught red-handed with felonious behavior. And you know what? You're never going to convict me in New Jersey. I got too many friends. I'm going to get too many hung juries. And you didn't do it, did you? And Obama went after me, and he couldn't get me. And Biden went after me, and he couldn't get me. And finally, to this sordid mess, there is a slight subtext. And that is, given the level of corruption in the U.S. Senate, why did they pick on this egregious example? And I think the only answer was in 2015 and 16, he had two stubborn positions, and the Obama administration could not stand him. And they were, we are not going to normalize relations with Cuba, given his family's history, and given that New Jersey has a large... Jewish constituency of which is very liberal and had supported him, he was not going to buy into the Iran deal. He was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And lo and, be, lo and behold, he found himself indicted. And lo and behold, he found, finds himself indicted. And so I think it's also partly true that if you buck the left wing and you are left wing, you're going to be losing your indemnity policy. Well, Victor, let's then turn to speaking of playing the race card, which is what Menendez did. Heather McDonald has recently appeared at the Berkeley Law School for the Federalist Society. Yes. And she was challenged on racism, and she came out with saying that there was black privilege, and boy, did the crowd go nuts on that. I was wondering if you had any reflections. She's empirical. So... Let's just take a point. I understand there's systemic racism and all that, but you are 18 years old and you are applying to Stanford University and you have a 3.5. 
There's no SAT score required. Okay. You are from Elko, Nevada. You've got a 3.5. Would you rather be on your application applying as a black woman, black male, or would you rather apply as a white working class kid? That is with no wealthy parents, no Stanford alumni connections, no athletics, just a normal working class kid. Are you serious? So that's Heather McDonald's point. So we're in this Orwellian situation where we're into repertory admissions, where we're admitting people not on a meritocratic basis. Now, they, I want to pause there because they say it is meritocratic because the entire superstructure of testing grades are racist. I don't understand the argument, but that's the argument they make. And therefore, you have to get rid of comparative grade grades, that is, adjudicating which high school you went to to see which was more competitive and which, is, which school's A's meant more. They did get rid of the SAT and the ACT. So it's now an impressionistic admissions, but everybody knows that it is in your interest to be non-white. And if he doesn't believe that, these students who attacked Heather, ask yourself, how many um, prominent celebrities eager for jobs, politicians eager to be Stanford or Harvard Law School professors, uh, professors who want to get hired at the University of Colorado claim that they're white when they're not. I don't know one. But I do know a lot, like Ward Churchill, who created an entire Native American identity. Elizabeth Warren said she, on the basis of an old family lore, that her cheekbones were a little too high. She was the first, quote, Native American law professor at Harvard, even though she had .0001 of DNA, Native American ancestry, Rachel Dogal, same thing. It's a very common phenomenon, but not the other way around. And people are people. And so it's like immigration. You see which way people are going, and that tells you something. And you can see which way people are falsifying a racial identity for careerist purpose. If we had this conversation in 1930, and you wanted to get into Harvard, and you were one quarter black, I, I'm perfectly willing to say that you would say you're all white because you would feel this is a racist institution. It was. And you would not want, you would want to pass for white completely. And now it's just the opposite. There's one common denominator. Both systems are racist. Yes, absolutely. And, and Heather points that out. And she yeah. was very firm. So here's uh, a solitary woman sitting at the table with Steve Hayward, who's a wonderful person. And she's getting attacked by these people who are enjoying black privilege. And she says, you know, I'm not going to capitulate to the idea that you're victims of racism. It doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, she didn't back down. I love that. She, she didn't back. She never backs down. Mm. And that's why she's got a unique uh, profile because they can't bully her. She's not scared of them. She's yeah. been attacked at universities before. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and go to a break and come back and we'll talk a little bit about the hunter rabbit hole again. Stay with us and we'll be right back. 
Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are looking at Friday News Roundup, so we've got lots of news on the agenda. And uh, one thing that I've noticed is that Hunter has a new lawsuit against Ruli Giuliani and the attorney Robert Costello for copying and disseminating info information taken from Hunter's devices. That's a good word. But isn't does it? I know exactly? A but device. doesn't claim that the laptop was his. So I don't understand that because no one claims that. Anybody had Hunter's phone or iPad, but I guess the argument must be because Hunter says or does not say or affirms or denies or has noncommittal about the laptop. You remember, he was suing the repair owner uh, because the repair shop owner because he had disseminated information or allowed others to have access to it, even though a Hunter signed a written contract that said after X number of days that when he did not claim his property and had not paid it, then he forfeited ownership. And B, he's never admitted that it was his. So I guess he's saying, I'm suing you for taking information off of a device that may or may not be mine. But maybe there were 
cross fertilizations with other devices like my, you know, when you plug in your cell phone to your computer or your iPad, maybe some information on that went into the laptop that Hunter doesn't own. So maybe he's saying you've got access to my other devices that I do own from a mysterious ghost laptop that was I guess, as I said, 3D printed in the Kremlin by the Russians, and now it cross-fertilized and you got access to my phone records. I think that's the argument. Why can't he just say, I was a drug addict. I had a bad habit. Just like my sister who lost her diary. Just like, you know, my crack pipe I left in a rental car. Just... Like the gun that turned up in a dumpster, I lose stuff and I lost my laptop and it's got a lot of incriminating stuff on it. And you better believe it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. They can't do that. I know. They're, they're, they seem just to be kind of barnacles on Joe, which is very strange inversion. You would think yeah, Joe was the barnacle. You, well, it's very complicated because Joe, without Joe, they have nothing, nothing because they have no talent, they have no record of accomplishment. If he was out in the dog-eat-dog world of law without his dad's name, he wouldn't make anything. He, and Devin Archer said that. He said the touchstone to the whole rift was Joe Biden and Joe Biden's name. And more importantly, the nature of Joe Biden. Joe Biden had a propensity to do things he shouldn't, and people knew that, and they were willing to pay for it. What's really funny now, and a lot of people on cable news have pointed this out, is that you have this Menendez, and then you've got Biden, <laughs> and they're parallel. You've got the, I'm going to sell influence on the basis of my name to foreign entities. They're going to give me money that I'm going to hide. Uh, I have a son and wife and a family uh, that benefit from my name and my wife and others connected to me were trying to monetize that. The only difference that I can think of is that Joe's dad was president and they dealt in large sums of money. It wasn't a million dollars in cash and gold bars. And the other thing I don't understand, what was the purpose of getting the gold bars from the Egyptians or the Egyptian Americans? What was the idea? You get a gold bars at it can't be traced. What, what, what's the idea? Why not? And he, they, they uh, subpoenaed his computer and he was Googling price of gold bars. So he wanted to monetize it. Why not just get the cash? And then you're going to say, well, he, you can hide it better. Well, he didn't hide the cash. He just put it everywhere. So uh, maybe he could have slipped the gold bars, I don't know, under his, his pillow or something. But it didn't take the FBI, their performance rate, very long. I wonder if they called CNN before they went like they did every other, you know, Roger Stone or um, Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago. It had been really nice to have a big CNN waiting for the raid as they went to his house. But of course, that was not going to happen. No, and they didn't have enough pictures of his gold bars because I was trying to read what banks they were made at, and I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Sorry, I can't tell you where he got them from. I know. I mean, this is so weird, isn't it? I think every listener is now saying, well, Victor, you forgot to mention in this context Sam Bankman Freed and his parents. <laughs> and there's something weird. We just got done with the Obamas. All these people 
lecture us. Remember Joe Biden? Pay your, the rich have to pay their fair share in a way that I didn't. Or the Obamas. Money doesn't mean anything. You can't, you can't only eat so much. But I'm separate. I can eat all I want. I need more houses I can deal with. I want as many houses as I can get. And then Sam Bankman-Fried's parents, that he was talking about a more equitable tax system. The, the mother was finding out how she could hide... Um, millions of dollars in contributions to hard-left redistributionist candidates while they were trying to siphon off the last breath of money from this dying FTX patient. And what did they want? Persian rugs, vases, and a Bahamas getaway. They were greedy as hell, just like the Obamas are greedy as hell, just like Menendez are greedy as hell. And I have no problem if you want to be greedy, but please, do not pose as a man or woman of the people who believes in equity. Although, when, to be fair, again, to be fair to Michelle, she took that word out of the DEI trinity. Yeah. She's not going to Germany and talk to the Germans about equity and then go back after making $12,000 a minute. <laughs> I think she's going to go back and spend the winter in Hawaii in the nice, nice warmth, and the Germans are going to be in their cold, hard winter. I don't winter. understand that. So they, <laughs> he, he told us for eight years that Al Gore was a saint, and we were suffering from climate change, and we had to fundamentally transform America. That was what the Solyndra, you know, rake-off was all about and that the seas were going to be catastrophically rising. And what does he do the minute he gets out? He builds a beautiful home right on the beach in Hawaii, and he has another one at Martha's Vineyard right over the ocean. And then you think, wow, there must be a, a great flight from people that are living on the coast because they're all left-wing, and they all believe in climate change, and they all know the waters are rising. So now some of us red-state idiots from Selma might think, I've always wanted to go to the coast. It's apparently catastrophic to live there. And all these brilliant people who are Marxists who live in these mansions are going to drop them and flee to Colorado and Kansas to be safe. So I'll go pick up some nice buys. No, coastal property is more expensive than it ever has been. Yeah. doesn't make any sense. It does kind of make sense. It does. It's all just a that. lie. <laughs> I said that the other night to Sean. I said, this open border doesn't make sense. I didn't mean that it didn't make sense. But no, I know. It's just ostensibly, when you look at the border, nobody's saying anything. I mean, they just yeah. say, the border is secure. The border is secure. The border is secure. I can assure you, the border is secure. That's Mallorca. That's Corinne Jean-Pierre. That's... And it's not Biden. You can't even say that. But that's what the party line is. And they don't say what they're doing. I mean, it's not secure. They don't say we are deliberately breaking federal immigration law. It no longer exists. You don't have to have a passport to come in the United States. Only Americans have to do that. You don't have any rules. We're going to give you 3000 a month when you come. But they don't tell you why they're doing it. So I guess, I guess... If we could ever get a hold of their emails or their text messages, they're texting furiously. The DNC, the squad, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, the Obamas. And what are they doing? Yes, short-term downside, long-term upside. Because when we get out of here in four years, 
we're going to have 10 million new illegal aliens. That's bigger than Tennessee. You guys all talked about letting in Puerto Rico, letting in D.C., getting more constituents. We just did it. We brought in 10 million people, and they're going to be on state, local, federal assistance for years, and they're going to owe fealty to us. And all those people that we offended, the deplorables, the irredeemables, the white working class, all those minorities on the border that we have offended, who are being swamped, all those African-Americans that may have said, screw them, we got a whole new constituency. That's how they think. Yes. And that's why they're doing it. And that's why they don't say one word about why they're doing it. And that's why they, I think really, they talk about impeachment. And, I think they should just very quietly, no big thing, don't interrupt, or just go impeach Mallorcas. Just, and then make the Senate and the House on the left say, how dare you impeach? He's done a wonderful job on the border and make them vote no and see what happens. Yeah. Well, did you hear that they have the Customs and Border Protection has a one um, parole program and they have an app that these illegal immigrants are applying to through for advanced travel off authorization and it allows them to choose the airport that they want to fly into and the customs agents there just set them free to um to to what do they say oh on parole it's into the joke. nation just know? a joke as i said in an earlier broadcast maybe eight years ago i was coming in from sfo from munich on a nonstop flight, and there was somebody who didn't have a passport. And they did not, you know, they just did the little routine. Oh, where is it? You know, they start crying and getting upset, and they just took them in a room. And I think, I think they have a procedure to detain you until you can be, you can verify your identity and you get a fine or you get a, something. But they do not let you in without a passport. So they're not going to American tourists in Greece or Israel and saying, hey, you guys, we have a, uh, a chartered jet. It's a really one. It can fly right into Nebraska, and you don't even have to show your passport. Just come to the United States. It's just ridiculous. We should tell all the people in the armed forces that were kicked out, the thousands who thought the mRNA vaccines had some dubious problems, um, we should tell them, you guys should have just done what, just gone down to Mexico and then come in as an illegal alien, and then you wouldn't have had to be vaccinated. You could have said, well, I was a citizen, but then I went to Mexico and I lost my citizenship, and now I'm an illegal alien, so I want to join the military, and I'm not going to be vaccinated. And they didn't tell me I had to. Well, it's really, I talked about this in The Dying Citizen, and it's it's just the diminution of citizenship it's just it's been destroyed there's no there's no singular there's no special there's no extraordinary much less extraordinary aspects of citizenship it's just it's less than residency in some ways you've got all the responsibilities and none of the perks yeah that's a sad commentary. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take another break and then come back to talk a little bit about the UAW and Mark Milley. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back. Uh, you can find Victor at Twitter um, or now called X at VD Hansen, and you can find him on Facebook on Hansen's Morning Cup. So please try him in both of those places. Um, Victor, also, we're a, we're produced by John Solomon's Just the News. So I really advise everybody to go to Just the News. It's got lots of great news stories. And John Solomon, of course, is one of the more well-known investigative reporters in D.C. and does an excellent job. So, Victor, the UAW um, uh, is has been striking, the auto workers have, and they're looking for their, their fair share of income from the automakers, and they don't seem to understand that the Fed makes regulations that require them to make EVs that... Um, that requires 40% less of the workforce, and that according to a Deloitte 2023 automotive study, only 8% of Americans say they prefer EVs at this point. So um, the claims of the United Auto Workers um, in their business to get more, I think they wanted a 40% raise or something. Yeah, I think they wanted a four-day, a 32-hour week. Yeah, that's crazy. I, 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 I am 70 years old. I think I'm working about eight hours to 10 hours, seven days a week. Yeah. So I would like a 32-hour week. <laughs> and I want a 40. I'm going to go call American Greatness. I'll call Hoover. I'll call everybody and say, I need a 40% raise. And you know what I'm going to hear? <laughs> <laughs> See you. Wouldn't want to be you, Victor. Adios. And, but I mean, when the government mandates all of these diversions to EV research, and the Chinese are going to be a beneficiary of a lot of it because they're going to supply the components. And Tesla's light years ahead of the big three anyway, uh, in terms of reliability and distance and performance on Tesla's versus what they're coming up with. Uh, they should direct their attention to the federal government and say, why are you siphoning off the profits of our companies, which we should be enjoying to do this type of research? And they might even want to add something. They won't because this is a, something they, they know that you can't say. But where are you going to get the electricity? The grid is already here in California. I mean, we're talking about siphoning electricity back out of Tesla's at night to expropriate 
because we don't have enough nighttime electricity, or you can only charge your your electric vehicle during the day. But my point is this: uh, Why don't we just say this is not viable unless we build nuclear power plants, or we build more hydroelectric, or we have more natural gas? We won't do that. And it's not a very viable plan. If you had nuclear energy, it makes sense. If you can get a little bit more distance, maybe four or five hundred miles, and you can get engines that have, you know, large horsepower that can tow boats and stuff and have good torque. But unless you're going to get affordable electrical energy in plenitude, it doesn't make any sense. But the, the UAW and its leadership's not talking about anything of that. It's just I looked at the bottom line. They made billions. We're much better paid than other workers in unions and in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania. But, but we want a percentage of profiteering that they got um, on the bottom line. And I think the CEOs, or at least the management staff, is saying, yeah, but for us to keep your jobs, we're going to, and because the federal government's making us, we're, we're diverting all those profits to these new EV plants. Yeah, I think I think they said that the um, the EVs lose them like forty thousand dollars or something a car. It's it was an outrageous amount. And I don't so, understand the entire EV ideology where you're mandating this new type of automobile, but you won't allow precious metal mining or lithium mining in the United States, or at least you oppose it. And yet that's essential if we're going to be self-sufficient and affordable batteries. You don't allow, you know, you won't allow that at all. And then to power them, you're not allowing an affordable energy source because people work during the day. And that's when the solar panels are, are going. They're not, they're, they're traveling. They're on the road. They're going back and forth to work where they need to fill up, i.e. charge up, is at night. And the alternate energy sources don't do that. So you need, it's so obvious. But it's, it's again, it's this commissariat, this ideological straitjacket that everybody's in. And, you know, at some point, I, I, I guess somebody's going to throw the proverbial Apple commercial hammer right through Big Brother's screen and shatter it. And we're going to say there is no serious climate change that's destroying the planet. There is no such thing as critical race theory. There is no such thing as modern modern monetary theory. There is no such thing as these biological males competing and just throw the, the, the ball and chain right through the window and it shatters because there's nothing there. But nobody's, nobody's willing to do that yet no. because they know they're going to be, what, deplatformed, canceled, shadow banned, docs, what, all, all the terms of ostracism that we have in the the modern wired world. Yeah. That's like that Russell Brand just got just got it himself. So. It's so funny, isn't it? Russell yeah. Brand was an obnoxious creep. Creep. <laughs> and he was left wing. Everybody knew he was, but the moment he strayed and said something about the quarantine, the lockdowns, the vaccinations, it was like he took off his armor and his or he, he burned up his insurance policy, and then he was vulnerable. So they went back through his whole life, and they found people who, guess what? They found that he was sexually rude, that he was a creep, 
In other words, he said things to very attractive girls who thought he was famous and young and handsome and rich and went over to his house and he gave them a line and then he had his sexual gratification and then he didn't turn out to be a very nice person. And now we're learning there's a lot of those people. Yeah. But if they didn't exist, you'd have to invent them given who he was. But my point is they're just going after him. And the same thing is true of Menendez. He's a crook. He is a crook. But he's a crook that got caught for the wrong reasons. They were perfectly... you really believe that they didn't know about all this? They knew about this for years. But when he finally got stubborn when Biden wanted to resurrect the Iran deal, just like Obama went after him, then he didn't change. If you're going to take money and, and put cash in all your coats and put gold bars and spread them around your coffee table then you better go vote hard left without one exception. You better tell your Cuban relatives, screw you, I'm a crook, and I can't afford to be a supporter of a free Cuba because if I do, the left will see that I'm unorthodox and a sinner and they'll go after me and I won't be able to be a crook anymore and make money. That's, kind of, that's what he thought, yeah. but he didn't. He didn't do that. No. Well, let's turn to Mark Milley then. Um, oh, he's retiring. Yes, he, I, he's retiring from the Joint um, yes, Chiefs as chairman, and he's been doing interviews. And I was watching a Fareed Zakaria interview. Doing a him. lot of interviews. Yeah, and he's giving a lot. Of, he's dishing a lot of dirt out on Donald Trump. He is, and he's saying that the Joint Chiefs shouldn't be political. And then <laughs> I, I guess after I you retire, you can't be. <laughs> Yeah, Mark Milley says that you, the Joint Chiefs should not be political. He didn't just say the Joint Chiefs. He said the entire high-ranking officer corps. That's not what we do. No, that's what you do because you're, all of you people went before Congress and in a very political fashion, in a po very political climate, you looked all of the left-wing senators and House representatives and everybody in the eye, and you basically said that you were going to root out white privilege. You knew doubt, deep down there was not a lot of white supremacy and privilege. To the extent there's white privilege, is going back to Heather McDonald, they had the privilege of going over to Iraq and Afghanistan as white privileged males and dying in 75% or double their demographics. You never told anybody that. You just got up there and you perform and start and the whole hysteria following George Floyd. We've got to read Kendi. We've got to read Mark. That's political, General Milley. And then you said that uh, Donald Trump did all of these terrible, uh, no doubt, but you said he insulted a burn cripple. If he did that, that was horrible. But the last time we heard that, and I guess that was... Ms. Hutchinson is trying to relate it, that he made fun of World War I people who had died and were buried in a American battlefield monument cemetery. Most of the people, if not all, that were at the meeting had never heard that. So that is not corroborated. Maybe he said it to you, maybe he didn't. But I find it really strange that you are not political, but then the moment you're retiring, you announce you're going to work on a memoir and you start dealing with all this dirt. So that begs the question, what do we look back at your tenure for three years? Well, you gave us a lot of new precedents. You gave us a precedent, precedent 
that if the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who is only in an, in an advisory capacity, you have no chain of command, no chain of command authority, but you did two things that has never happened before, and you were not punished, but you could very well have been punished. The first thing you did was, during the entire conundrum about the Trump years and he's coming out of office and you felt that he was non compos mentis. In other words, you, Mark Milley, Dr. Mark Milley, professor of psychiatry, said that your commander-in-chief was unstable and you thought that so much so that you called your Chinese counterpart in the People's Liberation Army and said, hey, you know what? Donald Trump's nuts. He can do anything, but before he does anything, I'm going to call you in communist China and warn you about my president. And Donald Trump said that was treason. He said, you know, they execute people for that. And the next thing you know, Trump says Millie should be executed. Well, that was stupid of Trump probably to say that. But the point is, what was it? What does the chairman of the Joint Chief do what does he think? Anytime he wants, he can call up an enemy of the United States stealthily and tell him that he, Mark Milley, will warn him what is the intention of the president of the United States, given Mark Milley's medical diagnosis that he's non compos mentis. And that just opens up a lot of other questions, Mr. Milley, General Milley. So did you do that with Joe Biden? Because Joe Biden, unlike Donald Trump can't walk onto the, a stage without getting lost. He repeats the stories twice in a row. He calls African-Americans, boy, 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 boy. You gave us a lecture about white privilege in the military and white rage. Well, this man is the head of the U.S. military. He's commander in chief, Joe Biden. He said on three occasions now, he's referred to an aide or an official or a rock star or hip hop star as a boy. That's, isn't that a good enough information for you, General Milley? Can't you say, as you leave office, well, you know, I gave, a, um, I gave an impassioned testimony before Congress uh, that I was really worried me about the woke, uh, the woke business that we had to really pursue white privilege. So I, I, I want an institute. And you know what? My commander-in-chief is what really struck me because he again and again uses derogatory language toward blacks. Now, that would have been courageous. Was it been a lot more brave than, what, undercover, not telling anybody, sneaking around behind the President of the United States back and calling his PLA counterpart? You think that was courageous? Then there's another thing. You have now redefined the role of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs on your own. That's going to be your legacy because you, General Milley, said, apparently, and you haven't denied it, you called in some high-ranking officers. And you said the following, if there is a serious crisis abroad, all inquiries, information, traffic about the use of existential weapons shall not come through the regular chain of command, i.e. the theater commander reporting directly to the secretary of defense. But it will become to me, Mark Milley, who is just an advisor. I may be a four-star advisor, but I'm still an advisor. I do not order people to do anything in particular CENTCOM or AFRICANCOM. I don't do that. They are independent commanders that are appointed, and then they report to them. But you interrupted that. And that was what? What would you call that? Insubordination? 
insurrection? Were you an insurrectionary? You were trying to disrupt the normal chain of command? Or is it because you had a higher morality? You were like James Comey. You were so more moral and intelligent than anybody else. You on your own could diagnose Donald Trump's moral depravity and you made the consensus that he was non compos mentes and then you decided to redefine the job description that you held and you went out of your proverbial lane and you broke the law and you did it again when you call, called your Chinese counterpart and we're supposed to listen to all that and think that's a proof that you're apolitical and if you're a final thing so you're the chairman of the Joint Chief and you got into a photo op after the street violence that, that we saw during 2020 and you thought there was a church that was burned the Trump Family had been forced to go into a bunker. We don't talk about that anymore. The 2020, uh, 120 days of riot, looting, killing, murder, etc. We don't want to talk about that. But you felt that because you appeared in uniform next to the president, he was using prop. He was. But that that was wrong because I guess you're telling us that no chairman of the Joint Chief ever appears next to a president who is in a controversial era, tenure. No, Give me one hour, General Milley, and I can show you pictures of U.S. presidents next to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs who were in very controversial dilemmas at the time. So that's not persuasive. But what's even less persuasive about your claim that you don't do politics is we had another precedent, and that is we have Article 88 of the Uniform Coma Military Justice. It was sparked by the MacArthur insubordination during the Korean War, where he basically told reporters nonstop that Harry Truman was incompetent or should have, you know, he attacked this commander-in-chief. And so we codified a, a, a code of behavior. It applied to military officers, high-ranking military officers that could not insult, or I guess the word was speak disparagingly in public, of their commander-in-chief, their vice president, and I think even the cabinet uh, secretaries. But this is the point. It applied to those who were retired and on military pensions and subject in times of emergency to be recalled. So what happened when all of this happened, when Donald Trump said in this 120 days of riot and mayhem and 35 police officers killed, 1,500, excuse me, 35 people killed, 1,500 police officers injured, $2 billion in arson, looting, damage, 14,000 people arrested. So what happened during that whole period? Well, the U.S. military might have uh, been called up. Donald Trump thought about it. He offered uh, the National Guard. And, of course, at that point, all the military said, this is politicizing the military. It's not trying to keep the public order. We just listed all of the damage that was being done and the social disorder. Any president would have obviously looked toward the National Guard or the U.S. military. And during the Rodney King riots, as I pointed out before in this broadcast, Colin Powell wrote a note, a, a letter to George H.W. Bush, if you need the Marines, they're here. And he offered them up. And sure enough, George H.W. Bush sent 5,000 of them to South Central to stop the rioting. 
I guess that was what? Political? But I guess Colin Powell never got his picture taken with George H.W. Bush. So another thing that's really that is very bothersome is there were a number of retired officers. And it wasn't just I disagree with Donald Trump. It is Donald Trump is a liar. I think that was General McChrystal. Donald Trump should be gone sooner than later. That was Admiral McRaven. Donald Trump is a Mussolini-like figure. And that was General McCaffrey. And then we had a colleague whose name I won't speak who suggested in a metaphor about D-Day that Donald Trump might have had tendencies that were more akin to the people we were fighting on the other side of the beach on D-Day. So you get the point, General Milley. I didn't hear you one time say, hey, you guys, lay off. You don't. You may not like Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump. You could just call them up and said, but we're all subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and we cannot say this with impunity and then go after people down the ranks that insult people in the public sphere. And we do punish them for doing it. But you didn't do any of that, General Milley. So then when you say that you were apolitical, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. I think you were very political. I think you redefined the job of Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I think you have set a very baleful precedent about freelancing with your Chinese communist, who I think is an enemy of the United States, PLA counterpart. I think you'd set a very bad example by redefining the narrow parameters of the job description of the Chairman of the Joint Chief. I think you made a very bad decision in politicizing, yes, politicizing what is a normal photo op between the chair and the president. And I think that you were timidly quiet when you could have got on the phone as a Chairman of the Joint Chiefs in your advisory role and said to all of these decorated officers who had enormous influence and clout, yes, you guys, Donald Trump we don't like, but we do not say in public things that disparage him because it's against the law. And you didn't do any of that. So I, now you're out ready to write your memoir. You're going to go out and you're going you're to entertain us with all these. Did I ever tell you what Trump told me? Did I ever tell you this one about Donald Trump? And, and we're supposed to think that you're noble and you're... Self, I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I want to believe it, but I don't. Well, aren't the people like James Clapper and Mark Milley and even Max Boot saying things like Trump is, when he wins, he will um, be jailing people as revenge? That's what, Mark, that's what um, Max Boot, whom I know and I like. I knew him for years. And he wrote that just yesterday that... He's, he's going to destroy democracy. And why are they writing this, though, Sam? Yeah, that's... So why are they writing... Why is James Clapper, who's a confessed liar under oath, and Brennan, who's a confessed liar twice under oath, and now are going to be in some advisory committee for Homeland Security, why would you let those people anywhere near government? But nevertheless, given all... What are they all saying? That it's going to be very dangerous... It's going to be dangerous if Trump comes in. They're, they're saying it for two reasons. ABC ran a poll that shows that Donald Trump is 10, 10 points ahead of Joe Biden. I don't believe that's accurate, but ABC is usually, it's not known as a conservative pollster. And it's the first one out this week. We'll see what the other ones do. 
And so they, for the first time, felt that this destroy Donald Trump with 91 indictment strategy is going to backfire. Remember what it was designed for. I don't care what anybody in the left or right says. It was designed to take infractions that other people had done and turn them into felonies and tie Donald Trump up and gain him empathy, so far so good, and then make him inert and people would get tired of it. The shelf life would be only so long. And that hasn't happened yet. It may, and Donald Trump may be Gulliver, as I said, with Lilliputian ropes all over him and he can't get out of these indictments, but it may not. And I think now they're very scared that they have created an energized Donald Trump and they have ensured they think that they got him the nomination and now they're scared that the Frankenstein monster will eat Dr. Frankenstein who created him. And so that's one thing. The second thing is even more interesting. Max Boot is writing this. Max Boot wrote, remember one thing, he was giddy when we appointed the Mueller team, he called them the hunter-killer team. Others called them the all-stars, the dreams team. It was based on nothing. It was a complete fantasy of Christopher Steele and Mr. Deschenko. It was all nothing, nothing. And yet we went through 22 months and $40 million to find out about that nothing. And then what did they do? They impeached a president of the United States over a phone call that said two things. I'm going to delay, not cancel, offensive weapons that other presidents did not approve, but I did. I'm going to delay it until I can find out whether there's something behind this Hunter Biden getting all this money with no expertise from this crooked Ukrainian government. And he proved to be right. And they impeached him over that. And then we had a laptop that was completely, unambiguously, the property of a crackhead, Hunter Biden, who left it at a repair shop, and the owner took possession, as was his right, under the contract. And guess what? When he opened it to work on it, it was a revelation into the heart of darkness of the Biden family. And that's what we, we put up. And so my point is, all of these columnists, all of these pundits, all of these uh, politicians are saying this is going to be the end of democracy. What they're afraid of is, what's the subtext? Donald Trump may be the only Republican running for president right now in the primary whom, who, if he was elected, would do to us what we did to him. Repeat that. He's the only person who won't play by the Marcus of Queensbury rule. And he may do to us what we did to him. And we know what we did to him. Nobody knows it better. We know that 11 days into his presidency, 61 people for no reason in the House wanted to impeach him. We know that ex-Pentagon lawyer Rosa Brooks wrote an article saying, we got to get rid of this guy. We can either use the 25th Amendment or we can impeach him, but that's going to take too long. I suggest a military coup. That's possible. We know that. We know military officers said they should remove Donald Trump. Two of them resigned from their positions, colonels, that wrote an article to that effect. And they think, you know what? If he comes in, 
he might do what we always do. We just fire everybody and bring in our team. But he didn't have any constituency, and the Republicans hated him as much as the Democrats, so he brought in Omaroso and the Mooch and Steve Bannon. But now the Heritage people, the Federalist people, they've got a crack team, and they mean business. And if they get elected, they're going to do what we did. And that means they may call people up like we did. I mean, we went after Peter, Peter Navarro, and we went after, went after Steve Bannon and John Eastman, and we're going to go after everybody in that phone call. We went after all of the people in the media, Roger Stone, Operation Veritas, and he could do that. And he's already said he might do it. He said that he might close down MSNBC. Well... That's crazy, but is it any crazier of giving money to the FBI to hire for $3 million, I guess, Twitter employees to suppress the news that's not favorable to the incumbent, uh, the challenger president, uh, for presidency, Joe Biden? Is it any, any weirder than having the FBI run a rogue operation with a foreign national and pay him money? to concoct stories that are completely false to destroy a candidate working in tandem with the with that candidate's opponent, Hillary Clinton, as we did with Christopher Steele, FBI. Is it any different than getting Mr. Kleinsmith to forge a document to fool a FISA judge, which the FBI, FBI did? And so they know all the things they've done, and they're scared stiff that this one Republican that they empowered might be so angry for what they're doing to him that he could actually survive, become president, and say, you know what, you set the stage and here it is. Or to quote Chuck Schumer when he railed at the doors of the Supreme Court, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you sowed the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're not going to know what hit you. Well, only let people say that. I don't advocate that. I hope Donald Trump goes in. If he's, if he's the nominee and he gets elected, he goes by the book. He just does a wonderful job with professionals. But they are scared right now because that's not what they did. That's not what they did to Michael Flynn. That's not what they did uh, to Donald Trump. That's not what they did to all the people around him. That's not what Russian disinformation was. That's not what Russian collusion was. That's not what the first impeachment was. That's not what stonewalling was. That's not what anonymous was. They know what they did. Yeah, and they're continuing to do it. And they're so. continuing to do it because they think that they're A, morally superior, and intellectually B, intellectually superior, and that gives them the right to do it. Yeah. That's basically, I just about quoted the progressive dogma of Sam Bankman Freed's mother, Miss Freed. She's part of a progressive ideology that believes that because it's so important to create heaven on earth as defined by progressivism, that you have to use certain means, like get dark money from Silicon Valley while you're blasting other people who do that, and drain a company that is just about to go under and has a lot of stockholders who are going to lose their money while you take millions out and buy a Bahamas home or you bundle money. Or I, my favorite of the Bankman Freeds was their gift to Stanford University. 
Four and a half million dollars, or was it five and a half? In their name. And their st Stanford still has it. <laughs> uh, I think Stanford's going to give it back if it hasn't already given it back. They have to. People, are, but think about that. They gave somebody else's money that happened to be temporarily in their name, and then they did it not because Stanford was thirty-eight billion dollar endowment poor. <laughs> they did it so they could walk around and say, well, we gave you $5 million. We want sabbatical. We want more uh, higher profile at Stanford. We want to hire people. They did it for themselves because they were selfish SOBs. Isn't that what Machiavelli says about Julius Caesar, that he knew how to run public finance as well? He went out on triumphs and brought home a bunch of money and spent some a bunch of other people's money on his own population and they loved him for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, I don't know, it's going to be a long, long summer, but it's going to be really hard to take these people who tried to destroy the Constitution and tried to destroy due process and lied repeatedly. I'm speaking of you, Dr. Fauci and James Clapper and John Brennan and Andrew McCabe. Lied under oath and then are going to turn around and say, oh, my God, Donald Trump could be president, and he has a mind like ours, and he's going to pay us back double for what we did to him. And therefore, that's not right. That's not right at all. And we'll see if that comes up as a uh, final thought. Maybe we'll talk about that in the next podcast on the debate coming up Thursday, but yeah. we'll see if anybody thinks that up about what Donald Trump had said. Yeah. He, he said two things that were very inflammatory. He's, this Mark Milley started a talk and related all these embarrassing stories about Trump. He said that in olden times, <laughs> I'm just paraphrasing, that somebody who had called up his enemy counterpart and warned him uh, to help him uh, develop a strategy against his own commander-in-chief, he said people were executed. Of course, that. And I went to the Drudge Report to see what they would say. He said, Trump says uh, that Milley should be executed. Well, he did in a circumlocution, but the meaning perhaps was there. And then uh, the second thing as well is he related these stories that Trump was so rude to these wounded veterans. Yeah. Victor, before we sign off, I know you just recently did an interview that will be airing on Monday, so I was wondering if you wanted to just give a plug for that. Yes. Uh, every once in a while, we do a fifth one per week with interviews. I have one scheduled for Kash Patel, who has uh, worked on the House Intelligence Committee and was very fundamental in uncovering what we now know was the hoax of Russian collusion. He's going to talk about his new book. And then in addition to that, um, I think we're going to have Tom Sowell pretty soon to talk about his social justice fallacy book that just came out. And I've talked about that on another podcast. And we have a third one that I just did today with Michael Pack, the, the very well-known documentary filmmaker. He's written and produced and filmed a whole lot of projects about the culture wars, about Newt Gingrich. Um, and he's a little different than other conservative filmmakers. And he tries, he's very soft-spoken. He tries to give both sides the point of view. He's obviously conservative, but he's not a propagandist is what I'm saying. And Donald Trump, 
against vehement opposition, made him the director of U.S. global media. And that's a fancy term in the Obama administration. I think that's when they renamed A Voice of America and all of these outlets in the Middle East and Europe. They combined them under one umbrella group. They gave them this billion-dollar budget. And then remember what Barack Obama did. He fired the oversight committee. Uh, that is the board of directors that were supposed to be nonpartisan and political because he wanted to use this as a megaphone. And he did. And it's been staffed with leftists. And soft-spoken Michael Pack came in there and he just started bing, gone, bing, gone, bing, gone. He started dismissing people that were too political and had been trying to act unprofessionally in his view by injecting their left-wing politics uh, to such a degree they could no longer be disinterested. And what happened, all of a sudden, you know what happened, what the left does, they use lawfare. All of a sudden, his nonprofit and his film company, they were being investigated. And who was investigating them? Senator Bob Menendez. Robert <laughs> Menendez. Yes, he was. He was giving... Uh, Michael Pack lectures about integrity and conflict of interest. And, and when it was all said and done, there was a small fine. He didn't do anything wrong. But the point was they were trying to emasculate him. And so after that tenure was over, he decided with a new project to try to produce, distribute documentary films from conservatives, short ones to begin with. So he's kind of making a new company and he's trying to solicit people who don't have a voice because 99% of the documentary industry is controlled by what? Film schools, three or 4,000 of them nationwide and they turn out leftist document, documentary, documentary filmmakers. And then of course, PBS is not disinterested, more as NPR on the radio side of it. But what he's trying to do is give a voice. So for about an hour and 10 minutes, we went through his career uh, in charge of U.S. global media. His son, Thomas, was with us. What this program is to encourage documentaries from conservatives and what, he, what documentaries he had done in the past and what he's working on in the future. It's, it's very exciting. One of the ones he's working on, I think it's long overdue, is the 120 days of riot, arson, mayhem in 2020. Remember what Kamala Harris said? It's not going to stop, nor should it stop. It's going to go right on to election day. It's going to go right on. And then the fact checker said she didn't mean it. She just meant the peaceful part. Just yeah. like... So anyway, that was what the interview was today. I think people yeah. like it. Yeah, and we'll be publishing that on Monday. So great. Well, thanks to your listeners. And this is the, our Friday News Roundup. I hope you all enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore 
of every story, but this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.